Hey, and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message. Let me start by asking you a question. Do we need other people to live a fulfilling life? Or as followers of Jesus, do we need community to follow Jesus? Well, there is someone who made this attempt to live this kind of a lifestyle. His name is Simon the Stylite, and he was born around 390 AD. He was born to a family of, sorry, just a little bit of feedback here. Okay, he was born in North Syria during the Roman Empire. And during this time, he was born to a family with shepherds. And he had this radical conversion to Christianity in his teenage years. And so as a radical Christian in this time, he joined a monastery. And his desire was to live this ascetic lifestyle, to get away from people and to pray. But because he was such a radical person, he started to attract students. And when students came, they came with questions. And they came with a lot of questions. And he was starting to get really annoyed with all these questions. So what he decided to do was to live every introvert's dream. And he climbed to the top of a pillar to get away from all these questions from his students. And he climbed this 10-foot uh, pillar, and he found it so refreshing that he says, I'm going to climb an even taller pillar. So we ended up climbing a 60-foot pillar, which was six feet in diameter. And he spent the next 30 years of his life on the top of that pillar to get away from people and their questions in order to have space to pray. The ironic thing was in his, in his attempt to get away from people, he became a spectacle, and people went on pilgrimages to come see him on the top of this pillar. And so for, in many different ways, we can approach our spiritual life in a similar manner. Maybe you've heard these kind of narratives or scripts or points of view. Maybe yourself hold these ideas. Where you can say, you know, I appreciate Jesus and his teaching, but I don't like the church. Or I'm spiritual and not, but not religious. My faith is something that is just my own. It's my private thing. I don't need other people to tell me how I should live out my faith. And as we've come to see that this idea of isolating ourselves from external constraints is not just something for a monk on the top of a pillar, but it's something as a modern person we very much live in light of. Charles Taylor, a Canadian philosopher, says he calls this the buffered self, where we try to buffer ourselves from external constraints. And he says what we live in is this idea of the age of authenticity, which he defines this way, that each one of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity. 
and that it is important to find and live out one's own as against to surrendering to conformity with a model imposed on us from outside. That we are to remove the restraints from outside so that we can look inside of ourselves and find our own identity. And what has happened is what has become most authentic has replaced what is holy, what is true, or what is righteous. And this is a difficulty towards community. Because in this mindset, community is only helpful to the extent that it helps me fulfill my own identity and purpose. But we find that Jesus has an alternative perspective. And as I mentioned, we can raise a lot of red flags about this point of view, this philosophy, this way of life. But I think there's actually something really good and beautiful about it. That at the very heart, there's this desire to be fully known and fully loved. But we have to ask the question, to be fully known and fully loved, is the best way to achieve that by looking in on ourselves? Well, as we mentioned, Jesus had a drastically different perspective. When he was asked, what is the greatest commandment, the Jewish way of saying, what is the greatest way of life? Jesus' response was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. For Jesus Loving God was inseparable from loving others. In fact, as we love others, it displays our love for God. This is why community is one of the five markers of a follower of Jesus. Here at Crosspoint, we've defined it this way. A disciple in community engages in intentional, deep relationships with a small group of other disciples. This group shares transformational, loving, and transparent relationships as they seek to build each other up. Now this morning, we want to look, how do we form a type of community that reflects this? And to do that, we want to look at Jesus, and we're going to open to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1. But what we'll find is that Jesus displays a certain pattern of living. That Jesus did not claim for vain glory or conceit, but actually humbles himself to the point of death on the cross. And then, in his obedience, the Father exalts him and lifts him up. And this pattern of death and resurrection becomes the pattern of the life of a disciple. And so our big idea this morning is that community is formed through the pattern of Jesus becoming present in our world. So let me just pray, and then we'll dive into our text this morning. Jesus, we come before you, and we just want to humble ourselves to be open to hear how you want to speak through your word this morning. Uh, God, I just pray if there's anything within uh, myself that would stand in that way, that you would speak through that. We want to be open to hearing your voice. Would you draw us deeper into relationship with you and to relationship with one another? Amen. So if you have a Bible, you can flip to Philippians 2 if you're not there already. 
And so Paul is writing this letter to a church in Philippi. And he has just, in this passage before, talked about how they faced opposition. And he's encouraging them here. And so verse 1, he says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. That he's saying here that there is, there's this comfort in love. That there's this community within the spirit, that the spirit draws us into community. And it actually stirs up affections for one another. That our relationship in Jesus caused us to have this, this love for one another. He says, have the same mind among yourself. The same direction of life. Last Sunday, Pastor Jim brought this passage in. And he talks about this posture of servanthood. Or this attitude of servanthood that characterizes the community of God. It's picking up in verse 3. Paul then warns, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. St. Augustine, uh, theologian, he talks about sin as actually the heart curved in on itself. This selfish ambition, this desire for preservation of self. And he says, do nothing from vain conceit. This is the idea of claiming for glory that you do not have support for in your life. Uh, a great example of this is over the summer, I got to play with my cousin's uh, little toddler. And we were building blocks. And so I'm like, hey, let's build the tallest tower that we can. And if you ever played blocks with toddlers, you know, the building of a tall tower, there's only one thing in their mind. I got to knock it down. <laughs> And so as soon as you build it tall enough, they will come right in and knock it right down. And this is the idea of vain conceit. It's this desire to build something great without any foundation to hold it up. And Paul offers an alternative perspective. He says, operate out of humility. This isn't a false modesty. This isn't a becoming a doormat. But rather, this is an active posture of treating the interests of others above our own. And Paul goes on in verse 5, and this is where it gets, you know, crescendos into the climax of this passage. He says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here we find that Paul says that Jesus was in the form of God. It did not count equality with God, something to be grasped. It wasn't that he had some kind of God persona and then he just desired to give it up. But this idea in the beginning where it, where it says... Though he was in the form of God. Could also mean because he was in the form of God. That this idea that Jesus was and always is God. And it's not that he's laying this thing down. But he's actually displaying what it means to be God. By humbling himself and becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. 
this was very drastic from the perspectives of gods and kings in this time. That throughout other uh, religions and different perspectives, that humans were to serve the gods. That's why humans were created, to be servants of God. And here God flips this, as I've come to serve people. And so we find that this is what it's displayed. That Jesus does not empty himself of his divinity, but rather, instead, he takes on humanity. And he displays perfectly as fully God and fully human what it looks like to operate in obedience to the Father. In this, he reveals the character of God and the pattern of discipleship for us. N.T. Wright summarizes it this way. He says the real humiliation, the, the difficulty of the incarnation of God becoming flesh and the cross is that the one who was himself God and who never during the whole process stopped being God could embrace such a vocation. But the passage does not end there. And in verse 9, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That we see this is in contrast to this empty glory, that by Jesus emptying himself, pouring himself out, that there's this received glory out of that. And we find there's this, this distinct pattern in this hymn. And it follows this pattern of although, not, but. Although in, here in the ESV it says though, there's this contrast. He says although he was in the form of God, then he has this humility of moving down that he did not view it as something to take advantage of. But he humbles himself. So that he could display the obedience and rescue the world. This pattern is the pattern of discipleship. It's this death and resurrection as we follow the same pattern of Jesus. And so how do we live this out? Well, first, we find that the pattern of Jesus is revealed when we live from our identity, not for our identity. Looking back in the very beginning of the passage, it talks about this idea of, of comfort and love and fellowship and all these things that we have in Jesus. And this is a distinction that we find from the world. The world says, if you want to find out who you are, look within yourself. Build your own identity. And once you have found that, you can be worthy of love and acceptance. But we find Jesus operates very differently. He doesn't work to achieve an identity. Rather, he works out of his received identity. That as God, this is how he operates in his vocation. That when you look at the life of Jesus in his ministry, it starts with his baptism. Where the father looks at Jesus and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And from that position, Jesus goes out into his ministry. That he goes out from this received affirmation of the father. And here's the beautiful thing, is that we are invited into this relationship. That throughout the passage we find that Paul is saying, 
in Christ, there is comfort and love. In Christ, have this mind among yourselves. To be in Christ is this received identity. Later, Paul, in uh, other letters, in 2 Corinthians, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 2 Timothy 1.9, he says, uh, talking about God, who saved us and called us to be a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the age began. Or finally, in Galatians 3, so in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For, uh, for of you, we were baptized into Christ and have been clothed, clothed yourself with Christ. That in Christ, we've received this new identity. We are a new creation, not based on what we can do on our own, but based off what we received from Jesus' own work. And that means that we are a new family in community. We are the family of God with all of our different quirks, with all of our different backgrounds and perspectives, that we've been brought into this new community and family in Christ. And that means that the idea of the church is more than just a gathering on a Sunday. I don't often get to serve with Crosspoint kids, but when I do, I usually end up getting corrected. <laughs> the one time I went and helped out with the grade five and six, we had them do this uh, exercise where we gave them a bunch of popsicle sticks. And we said, all right, I want you to build a church. And then one of the students, she raises her hand. I'm like, yep. Yeah. And she says, isn't the church people and not a building? And I said, you're right. Where do the church meet? In a building. So let's build a building. <laughs> but the, the, the child had such a great grasp of this reality. The church is not a service that we come to on a Sunday. It's not a program. But rather, it's the people of God sharing life together. This great idea of being in Christ is actually something we are invited into to participate in. A few weeks ago, with the young adult ministry, we went to the corn maze. And so when you go into the corn maze and you arrive at the very beginning, you can see an overhead display of what the corn maze looks like. There's this beautiful pattern. We have a picture there. And you can, you can look at it. You can study it. And you can trace your finger all the way through, finding your way through the maze. But at no point can you ever say, I completed the maze. Because the maze was created to be something that you stepped into, something that you walked into with others as you go through the journey. And I'll tell you right now, it's a lot harder when you walk through it with people as you all have to try and find the same way together. You all have to make decisions together. But I think this is such a beautiful idea of what community is about. Community is not just an overhead view of something that's, that's nice out there, but it's actually a reality that we are called to step into. That we are to walk with each other through going through different directions, having to backtrack, having to encourage one another. That we are called into this reality. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his little book, Life Together, he says, Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather it's a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate the more clearly we have learned to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all our community is in Jesus Christ alone, the more calmly we will learn to think about our community and to pray and hope for it.
that out of this received identity, we are called to participate in that. And we are called to love the very people in front of us, the people in this very room, but also beyond that. So what would it look like for us to be a community that steps out of this received identity? And so next we see is that the pattern of Jesus is revealed when we pursue the interests of others over the interests of ourselves. As we mentioned, again, this pattern, I'm trying to help us to look at as many different ways to help embody it within us. But the pattern of Jesus becomes present even in the very beginning of the text when he talks about the community of God. Uh, if we have that displayed on the screen. He says, you know, although there's comfort and encouragement in Christ, he says, look not, this kind of downward mobility, look not to your own interests, but rather look to the interests of others, operating out of this same pattern, although not but. And one of the most incredible ways I've seen this displayed was in a very unlikely situation over the summer. I went back to BC to visit my family, and so I went out for lunch with my, uh, was my mom and my aunt and my wife, JC, and I. And we were eating at this restaurant, and we were eating outside. And it was, you know, Wednesday at, at noon, and we're sitting there, we're eating. And then we see the waitress come by with, with a whole round of shots to the table next to us. I'm like, okay, okay. And then she comes with another round of shots. And I'm like, all right. And then this table, every round of shots, they get louder and louder and louder. Another bottle of wine, another round of shots. And eventually, like, we just can't have a conversation. And I internally judge these people. I'm like, it's a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> like, why are you getting drunk on a Wednesday afternoon? And so we just kind of didn't want to make a big scene about it. So we kindly asked the, the waitress, you know, can we find a seat inside? You know, we'd rather just, it's a little bit loud out here. So they moved us inside and we, you know, finished our meal and it came time for us to pay the bill. And so we asked the waitress for, for our bill and she says, oh, by the way, I wanted to let you know that it's been paid for. And we're like, by who? Who paid for our bill? And she said, the table next to you outside. <laughs> we're like, what? And, and they're like, yeah, they, they just felt, you know, really bad for being loud and so they wanted to pay for your bill. And he said, you know, it was, it was a fiancé it was a friend and it was a dad who were celebrating the life of their loved one who had passed away from suicide a year to the day. And I felt so guilty. <laughs> I was like, oh. And they said, I want you to, and they said, yeah, the, the only thing they wanted to tell you was just live your life to the fullest. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> I thought, wow, what a beautiful picture of what the church could be. That in the midst of pain and grief and being judged and misunderstood, they chose to actually bless other people. They chose to pay our bill. They had every right to think, oh, these people don't know my situation. But they operated differently. That this pattern, you know, although they were hurting and, in grief and grieving and misjudged, they did not choose to defend themselves or to, you know, curse other people back. But they adopted this posture of love and blessed others and paid our bill. What would it look like for us to be a community that would display like that? To adopt this pattern. To not sit in a distance and judge people, but actually to 
to draw close, to hear their stories, that to, to enter into p- uh, places of pain and grief and allow the gospel to heal people in community. And so I want us to give us some practical ways of thinking through this pattern that we talked about. What would it look like for us in our different places and stages to adopt this pattern? Maybe you're a youth student here. And a situation could be that you see that one kid sitting by themselves at lunch. You say, although I have a good group of friends, I will not do what's easy and stay in my friends and talk with them. But I will choose to enter in a potentially difficult and uncomfortable conversation because someone needs a friend. Or maybe you're a young adult, you know of a family with little kids. And you could say, although I have a free evening, I will not spend it binging Netflix. But I will offer to babysit so a couple can have a date night. On the flip side, maybe your parents with young kids. And you could say, although I have a hectic and crazy life, and you know of a single person or young adult, and although I have this hectic and crazy life, and if I invite this single person or young adult, they will eat way too much and have no way of paying me back. But I will choose to open my table because I want to extend community. Maybe you're in a small group and there's someone that just says things that rubbed you the wrong way, that offend you, that hurt you. And you could say, although what they said was hurtful, I will not choose to bash them back, to gossip behind their back. But I will choose to ask them where that comment came from, to pursue relationship pursue forgiveness. It's this pattern of although, not, but. It's a pattern of dying to ourselves so that we become alive to Christ in the context of community. And this leads us to our final point, that the pattern of Jesus is revealed when we pursue the glorification of God over the pursuit of selves. That in this final verse in the uh, final verse that we'll read again it says therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father that this glory wasn't found in the pursuit of self but rather as Jesus humbled himself that God raised him up, and that Jesus' life was for the glorification of the Father. And that, in fact, this becomes the purpose of his community. That in John 13, 35, Jesus prays the same thing for us. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That as we learn to love one another well, we become a reflection of the character of God to the world. That as they can look at us as a community, they can see the goodness of God even in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our mistakes, in the midst of us attempting to pursue forgiveness and community in broken ways. That in fact, we are called to be this type of a community. Andrew Root, he says, the church then is not solely an institution seeking its own life. Rather, the church is a gathering place, or as we talked about, as a people, to receive the ministry of Jesus through the embrace of others. 
that we are called to learn from one another. We are called to, the, to be a family of God on mission. To, in the midst of our brokenness and death experiences, we are called to receive the gospel in community. We are called to be a family on mission. And so as we wrap up, I want us to kind of draw these things together and help us to reflect on this reality. As we've talked about community, what does it look like for you to take that next step in community together? Maybe you've been coming for a little while just on a Sunday. And here's an opportunity for you to step into joining a small group, to, to join in community with other people, to share life together. Maybe you've been in a small group for a while and you feel that it's a little bit stale and it hasn't been going that great. What would it look like for you to actively serve the people in that community? What would it look like to find out the needs of those community people and to actually equip each other to serve that person? Or also, maybe you're in community and it's become very isolated. It's become about us, about our needs, about who we are. What would it look like for you to step out as the family of God on mission? What would it look like for you to look out to our world around you, to the neighborhoods, to the needs, and say, how can we as a community embrace the call that God has for us? What does it look like to invite, as I mentioned, you maybe a single or young adult person into a family setting? What does it look like to share life together, you know, to help each other move, to find the needs of, of neighbors in your area, and to be able to practically serve them together? What is that next step for you to embrace this life of community. And so in an age of authenticity and isolation, there's a des desire to find what is most real. A desire to be fully accepted and fully loved. And despite our cultural narrative, we do not find this by looking within ourselves, but rather by looking up towards God and out towards others. That we do not earn or establish our identity by what we can do or by our works, but rather we receive this identity through what we have received through Jesus. And we get to step into this new family of God, this beautiful reality that we actually get to follow the pattern of Jesus, his death and resurrection. And maybe you're here exploring Christianity. Maybe you're coming with questions and throughout this whole gathering, we've had this theme of Jesus' death and resurrection. And this grace that we get to receive, you know, through what was shared by Jim, through the songs. And this is a moment for you, that you can actually receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That you can follow that pattern that says, although I am broken and hurting, I will not look to myself to fix myself. But rather, I will humble myself, come before God, and receive the grace that he has for us. This could be your moment today that you cross the line of faith and that you become part of this new spiritual family. And if that's a decision that you've wanted to make today, uh, after the gathering, we will have people at the cross that would love to pray with you to encourage you in the midst of that. And so community is formed through the pattern of Jesus being revealed in the very presence of our community in the midst of the world. What would it look like for us to be a community that would embrace this type of calling? Let me pray for us 
that I commission us out. Jesus, we come before you and yeah, we just want to lay down any selfish ambition or conceit or anything that would cloud our hearts that would be barriers to relationship with you and with one another. Jesus, we are so in awe and in great uh, reverence at your display of what it means to be God, to humble yourself, to become obedient to the point of death so that we might have new life in you. Jesus, by your spirit, empower us to be a community that loves each other well, that cares for the world around us, that does not judge people from afar, but actually seeks uh, to bring restoration with one another, that pursues unity over division. We love you, God. We praise you, and we thank you. In your wonderful name, amen. So before you head out, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God, into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are. Open up your social circle. Invite other people in. Uh, embrace what it means to be the community of faith. Have a great Sunday. Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton and throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.